Are you frustrated at the content you're currently producing for your brand or business and you're ready to take it to the next level? Maybe you wanna increase the quality of your content or increase the consistency of you showing up. Well, I'm here to help and I'm so excited to let you know about two opportunities to work together in the near future. The first opportunity is the Content to Cast Challenge is back on May 26th through the 31st. And if you upgrade your ticket to VIP, I will do an hour of Q&A for five days straight. Nowhere ever do I do this much Q&A. The second opportunity is to meet me here in Vegas for the Content Mastery Day. And that's happening Friday and Saturday, June 7th and 8th, again, here in Las Vegas. This two-day implementation workshop is designed to let you get excited about creating content like never before. You're gonna learn from me and my team. I'm gonna invite some guest speakers, but more importantly, you're going to leave with a ton of content. Yes, we will produce content for you and we'll hang out. Like it's the best thing ever. I've been loving doing these content mastery days. And if you'd like more information on these two opportunities, just check out the links down in the show notes. And I'm looking forward to connecting with you this summer. Let's get into the episode. Today's department is the business department, and I'm interviewing my business coach, my mentor, Myron Golden. There are already right now hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, millions potentially of people in the world who would love to buy what you'd love to sell if they only knew you existed. How can I make myself more findable for the millions of people who already want to buy what I already want to sell? If you will obsess over solving their problems, they will obsess over paying you. I'm literally obsessed with solving other entrepreneurs' business problems. So much so that your obsession has helped hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs achieve multiple million dollar, not years, days. So you do these four moves, you will scale your business 1,280%. Can you break down those moves real quick? Sure, move number one. Welcome to the department where we have conversations with people who are killing it in their department. Today's department is the Bible business department. And I'm interviewing my business coach, my mentor, somebody that I've uh, really looked up to over a year's time. And I've learned so much from him, Myron Golden, decamillionaire. If they say a lot of interviews, sure. Interview people in the season of their first success. Mm. When yeah, you, you when got you, here too late for that one. <laughs> when you lose it all. Yes. When you gain it all, lose it all and gain it all again. Yes. There's something there. Oh, it's it's a different, it's a totally different energy, bro. And I want to I want to unpack that. So I'm so glad. Uh, thank you for letting me come down here and, and do this uh, conversation. My pleasure, man. It's gonna be fun. So you've been in business for over thirty years. Thirty something, yeah. Since I was 25, and I'm 62. What's that? 37 years. How long from starting 30 some odd years ago that you felt like you caught wind and you're like, I. So I always like to tell people I was an overnight success, but it was a 14 year night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a long night. <laughs> that was a long night, bro. It was yeah. a long night. Um, but like I got started as an entrepreneur selling insurance and investments, but I didn't know how to sell. Mm. And so it took me from the time from October of 1985 to April of 1987 before I made my first sale. But I was doing a lot of presentations. I was just terrible. I didn't, I didn't know I was terrible, but I knew if I, if I could be terrible and I could keep on going, I could eventually be not terrible. And so eventually I got to be not terrible and then I eventually got to be okay. And then I got to be good. And then I got to be the best in our office. And then before, after I made my first sale, it wasn't long. I was the top salesperson in our office every month. And you would attribute that to the skill of sales. That part. Not the talent, the skill. And the difference between a talent and a skill is a talent is God-given, but a skill is acquirable. 
Because like that's the season I'm in. Mm-hmm. I would say this last year, I never had a fulfillment issue or a product issue or an idea issue. It was how I revealed that product, how I've packaged that you know 100. idea. And this is why I've invested in your coaching because I think you're a master uh, salesman, but even more so you're a master at teaching it. Mm. And I think a lot of uh, creatives or even I would say... I would even say like Christian entrepreneurs, because I know a lot of them listen and watch this podcast. They think you say the word sales selling. It just the the connotation has been disrupted. Yeah. And and I understand why people have a negative connotation wrapped around the word sales, but they don't really feel negatively about the concept of sales. They feel negatively about their misperception Mm. of what sales is because most people erroneously think sales is talking people into buying something they don't want, don't need and can't afford. And it feels yucky. If I'm going to talk you into buying something you don't want, don't need and can't afford, that feels yucky to me and it feels yucky to you. So everybody feels yucky. So everybody's yucked out. But sales is not convincing somebody to buy something. Sales is persuading somebody. And here's the difference. When I convince somebody to do something, I am attempting to get someone to do something I desire them to do for my reasons. When I persuade somebody, I help them make a decision they already desire to make for their own reasons. So if I'm selling something to you, I'm selling it to you for you. If I'm convincing you, I'm selling something to you for me. That's the difference. What was the unlock then? Like during that time frame, we were like, oh, it's, it's sales, it's a skill, I lack it. How did you get better at it? I got better at it by doing it over and over again when I was bad at it, and I kept doing it. If if someone wants to become good at something that they're bad at, you have to discipline yourself to do it while it's not working long enough to figure out how to make it work. That's good. I call that lasting through the learning curve. Lasting through the learning curve. Yes. Do you want to know what I've been how I've been practicing my sales, or I would say Do my tell. persuasion. Do tell. Through parenting. Well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have a four-year-old daughter at the time of filming this, and uh, we know what's best for them. And I've seen ways that I've asked her questions to do a thing that she knows that she doesn't want to do, but we know what is best for her. Mm-hmm. But just simply framing the question in a different way that gives her a, so di- good. a way of wanting it. And I literally, when she says yes, I look to my wife, I'm like, babe, I did it. (laughs) And so uh, I I really think there's actually so so much value in learning the skill of sales to make you a better human being. And it's not just, it's not to get what you want. It's not like, Hey, I want Ruby, Ruby. I want you to do this. But it's like you said, getting people to do the thing that they know they've been wanting to do all along. 1000%. And what's really interesting is a person can only be great at sales when they obsess over the solution to somebody else's problem. Good, right? I obsess, obsess with. I'm I'm literally obsessed with solving other entrepreneurs' business problems. If you will obsess over solving their problems, they will obsess over paying you. You don't ever. You don't even have to think about getting paid. That's good, and so much so that your obsession has helped hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs achieve multiple million dollar, not years, days, days. Which sounds crazy. And so, and like, I don't, and, and I mean, it is what it is. It is what it is. I mean, sounds if crazy. If but you're going to tell a lie, you don't want to tell one that dumb, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, but, but if you think about 
doing a million dollars in revenue in a day, it sounds like some big, ostentatious, audacious thing that's almost impossible, but it's really not. Depends on depends on what you're selling, what's the price, how big is the audience, mm-hmm. um, what is the irresistible offer around that product. All of those things come into play. And if all, like when all of those are hitting on the cylinders, oh, it's a wrap. Yeah, irresistible offers, it's been a buzzword the last few years in business. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, first things that come to mind, what makes an offer irresistible? Well, the, to me, the first thing that makes an offer irresistible is the person already wanted the thing before they ever knew me, I existed, right? People ask me all the time, they say, Myron, how do I find people to sell my stuff to? You're asking the wrong question. Mm. Because there are already right now hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, millions potentially of people in the world who would love to buy what you'd love to sell if they only knew you existed. So while you're asking, how do I find people to sell my stuff to as an entrepreneur, you could be asking a better question and getting a better answer and a better solution. And that better question is this, how can I make myself more findable for the millions of people who already want to buy what I already want to sell? Have you ever asked yourself the question, Omar, how the heck does your videos look and sound so dang crispy? It's literally the number one question I get asked, whether it's privately in the DMs or people commenting on my videos on Instagram or even on YouTube. The reality is I believe the quality of videos that I've been able to produce has been the recipe to my success online. And I want to give you access to my live document where I've listed out everything I use, both for the podcasts I create to the YouTube videos I make, as well as to what I use for my smartphone to make it look and sound amazing. The reason I put it on a live doc is because I keep this document updated in real time with everything that I'm using. So just head over to the videodep.co forward slash crispy, or just click the link down in the show notes. Let's get back to the conversation. Do you think people believe in a weird way that no one wants to buy what I have to sell? Well, I believe there are some people who believe that, but that belief can't serve them. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, by the way, if somebody believes that they made it up mm. now, I believe there are millions of people who would love to buy what I'd love to sell That's if they good. only knew I existed. But guess what? I made that up. And if, in fact, anything we tell ourselves about a future outcome, we made it up. Go ahead. If you're going to make up, outcomes about the future it to me it just makes more sense to make up outcomes that serve you than it does outcomes that don't serve you it makes more sense to make up outcomes that give you the ability to serve people than it does to make up outcomes that rob you of the ability to serve people it's great because you're making it up anyway you're using the exact same amount of energy to to conjure up an empowering story as you do a disempowering story so why would you conjure up a disempowering story that's that's counterproductive on way too many levels to count which is what we do when we worry that's what, that's, that's literally the definition of worry. Like you, I call worry wasting present energy on a future outcome that's undesirable to me. So good. And you said, yes, I've been, I was listening a lot. Yes. That it, you're giving the energy to something that you could be using that energy to make that favorable outcome At come 100%, 100%. Worrying about something not working makes it not work because worrying about it robs you of the energy that could make it work but you wasted it on worrying about it not working. By the way, if you're focused, like if, what is worry? It's like you see an unfavorable outcome later so clearly that it creates a physical reaction in your body now, right? Mm-hmm. So if, I'm, if I can see that unfavorable outcome in the future in my mind right now, 
it requires the same amount of emotional energy to deal with it as it would if it were happening right now. But it's not happening right now, so all of that energy is wasted. So, like, if you have a limiting belief, which is self-made, but sometimes is a blind spot, mm -hmm. how, how would you help people with their self-awareness to know that, number one, they even have it, it's a limiting belief, and then address it? So, a couple things. First of all, all limiting beliefs are not self-made. Okay. Some of them are programmed by what I call the cultural hypnotic societal mechanism. Yep. So, if you think about the fact that none of us were born believing anything, so anything that you believe, every belief you have was either adapted or adopted, mm -hmm. right? So you had an experience that caused you to conclude that X, Y, Z. But what if the conclusion was based on the limited amount of awareness that you have? For instance, let's say you're four years old, you burn your hands on the stove, so you think, I don't ever want to go in the kitchen again because when you go in the kitchen, your hand hurts. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an erroneous conclusion, but it's one you bought into. There are so many things like that in people's lives. They, they think the problem is one thing. They think the problem is the thing they associated the situation with, mm -hmm. but the actual cause is something completely different. And you can still go in the kitchen. Just don't put your hand on the stove. Right. Right. And so people worry about things that don't even have the ability to harm them because they've misassociated a cause with an effect. That's good. That's good. In my, in my case in business, it's actually been a good thing that happened in my past mm -hmm. that is making it hard to break down those beliefs. And that is when I first stepped out like 2015 in entrepreneurship, I started doing family photo shoots. I was charging like 150 bucks an hour for some fresh photos. Mm. And one, I did, a, I did some photos. For, keep it fresh, keep yeah, it fresh. I did some photos for a family and she handed me a $450 check. And I said, oh no, 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 no. Like it's only $150. And she said, Omar, this is what you're worth. Mm. And it was a seed of people telling me what I was worth. Mm. And, and that happened through a series of years in, in my entrepreneurial journey that I've allowed people to dictate my price. Mm. So like you could see as you've been coaching me, I have a price problem, but it's because I have a hard time believing somebody wants to pay the price I come up with. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I do. And so That's fascinating. I know it, it was, it was a, it was good circumstances. I had a client that were like every time the, uh, they had a fire month and it was like a local, you know, retainer. I was making their YouTube videos and all that stuff blew up their, I blew up their business okay. organically. Mm. Number one brand in online when it came to like lash extensions. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hey, uh, or the, the, the owner was always upping my pay because the results were going crazy. I never asked him to do it though, mm -hmm. but you're not going to fight that. Right. You're just going to say, okay. Yeah. Right. right. But what so it did is it, it caused you to come to a conclusion. Other people know what you're worth more than you do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I'm working on it. No doubt. I see you working on it. Yeah. What's really interesting is like for me, when it comes to pricing, I usually like to start with something seemingly ridiculous and I'm willing to land on something sublime. So I go from the ridiculous to the sublime, right? I remember when I first started doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, I decided I'm going to charge $2,000 an hour. Now, some people say, well, nobody's going to pay you that. Cool. Then I don't have to do the coaching. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I, th I think, I think the, one of the problems is people are so, attached to hopefulness to a specific outcome. They feel like if they don't get that, then somehow that devalues them as a person. Mm. And I've always looked at it, if somebody doesn't want to pay the price that I charge, then they don't think they're worth it. It's not that they don't think I'm worth it. 
That's good. So it's a very different perspective. And by the way, is my way right? No, but it's a way that it's not necessarily right, but it serves me at a higher level than me thinking I'm not worth it because they didn't want to pay what I charge. So I remember after I raised my price to $5,000 an hour, there was an entrepreneur who had bought one of my uh, $30,000 masterminds. And he learned how to do this skill that I teach in this $30,000 mastermind. And he had a million dollar day. He was the first client of mine to have a million dollar day. He calls me and we're debriefing. He's like, Myron, do you do one-on-one coaching? I said, yeah. How much is it? It's 5,000 an hour. He says, okay, cool. I just sent you $40,000 in PayPal one eight hours. Now, most people will be so excited by that. They're like, oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. I just made $40,000 for coaching. I was like, eh. the very first thought in my mind, and I know you're going to think this is crazy. I got to raise my prices. I don't want, ever want somebody to just send me $40,000, and now I'm obligated to them for eight hours. So I, that, literally before that call was over, and I did the eight hours, but we did it over an eight-week time period. So it wasn't painful. And he's like a brilliant entrepreneur, so it was fun. Yeah. I just didn't like the idea of it. Sure. And I love that you, f- you feel it, though, acknowledge it and realize, like, okay, because I have those moments, too. Because I'm just throwing out offers, and people say yes. I'm like, all right. And then I start, like. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, never, never, ever no more. And so I raised my price to $25,000 an hour. Mm. And just like people paid me at 2000 and people paid me at 5000 people paid me at 25,000. And then I started selling VIP days and it was eight hours for $200,000. And I realized that $200,000 for all the stuff I was giving them was way too little. And I know there are people who are watching this who are going to think this man is some kind of out his mind and that's okay. I want them to think that that's fine. I'm okay with y'all thinking that. Um, but for me, I realized for eight hours of my life, and I'm only getting $200,000, that doesn't, and I'm, it's not because I'm greedy. I would just rather be doing something else. Sure. And so in October of last year, I told the people who were in an event that I was doing, if you desire to get a VIP day for me for $200,000, this will be the last time you will ever be able to get it at that price because the next time I offer it, it's going to be $300,000, $400,000, $500,000. It's going to be something, but it's not going to be... 200,000. 200, so the next time I offered it, I offered it 350,000. But then I've got a $350,000 VIP day, but I'm only charging $25,000 an hour. It didn't match up. Oh, so I got to make this match. What can I do? Oh, you know what I'll do? I'll raise the price of my hourly coaching to 40,000. Yeah. Now it makes sense. So the whole, this whole way of thinking may be like, so ridiculous to some people. Um, we sold um, 18 VIP days at 200000 um, And so far, since we raised the price to um, 350000 we sold nine more. It doesn't... And some people be thinking, well, why would somebody pay you that much money for eight hours? Well, they're not paying me for the time. They're paying me for the transformation that happens in that time. And the transformation that happens is worth more to them than the $350,000 they're paying me. So good. Does that make sense? It makes, to me, it makes sense. I can imagine people being like, still, like 350 k for a day, but it's, it's what you take 
it's literally the things the unlocks because it honestly it could be one thing one that's usually thing. what they're coming they're probably coming for what is the one thing I'm, i feel the ceiling yes and you and you because you're brilliant you can see that you know what's really interesting when it comes to transformations the people who need it the most seem to want it the least and the people who want it the most need it the least that's why it's easier for me to help somebody get unstuck at 50,000 or 100,000. They're at 50,000 a month, they're at 100,000 a month, they're at 250,000 a month. It's easier for me to get that person unstuck than it is for somebody, for me to get somebody unstuck who's stuck at 5,000 a month. Yeah. Because the person who's stuck at 5,000 a month has a becoming problem. The person who's stuck at 50,000, 100,000, 250,000, they just, they just have an awareness problem. And all you have to do is show them something they're not aware of. And when you show them the thing they're not aware of, it's just the floodgates open, which right. is why, like, if you look at um, um, these two guys that st taught stock options trading, they came into our coaching program. They were stuck at 10000 a month. We showed them, we, like, unlocked the four moves. And they're like, okay, got it. The next month, they did $60,000 in revenue. The next month after that, they did one hundred and one. The next month after that, they did 150000 and by the way, I'm not saying to the people who are watching your, this video right now, you're going to go from wherever you are to 60000 a month or 101000 I don't know you from the man on the moon, and I don't know what your business is. This is just a particular thing that happened for these people, and what works for one person is not necessarily going to work for everybody. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Right. So. No, it's really good. So you have this all, your, your, your brilliance in business has come all through, or much of it, through scripture and all oh, of it. Oh, all of it. All of it. Every ounce. Yes. Well, I came to Christ when I was 16. I had never read a book in my life at 16 years old that was not a comic book or a karate book. The only kind of books I read were karate books and comic books. And the best books were comic books that were karate comic books. Those were the best. Right? That's funny. <laughs> I'm very I know it's funny, but I'm very serious, right? And, and... It was another teenager that led me to Christ, and here's what he said to me a couple weeks in. I, I was, I'm terrible at reading. I'm not a good reader. My brain moves at 452 miles an hour. My, my, my eyes, about 55. And so I feel like my eyes are attempting to catch up with my brain while I'm reading a book. And so it requires, now if I listen to binaural beats while I'm reading, it like synchronizes. What's it's, binaural beats? Binaural beats are like, they're like tones that when you listen to them, they synchronize both sides of your brain so that it helps you focus better. So like okay. Brain FM is an app. Okay. Brain FM. Have you ever heard of that? No, I mean, that could be the unlock people get okay. off so, of this podcast. So yeah, like there's an app that I have on my phone. Like they have tones that help you relax. So I listen to binaural beats when I take a nap. Dope. And I take a nap almost every day on a biohacking mat, which is a different conversation for a different day. Um, <laughs> when I'm reading... I'm studying. I listen to binaural beats when I'm reading. I listen to binaural beats when I'm studying. Um, and I, the, the only ones I use are, they, I mean, they have, they have free binaural beats on YouTube. There are YouTube channels that are nothing but, but binaural, beats. binaural beats. Would that be like lo-fi hip hop? No, no it's, okay. I, I, don't, I don't know what even makes it. I don't know why they call it binaural beats. Okay. I just know. That this thing helped you read the Bible. It helps. No, no, I didn't. Do, no, not to read the Bible. Oh, okay. this is, it's what I do to read now. They, okay. There wasn't, I didn't, no, I don't even think anybody knew about it when I was, I was 16, bro. That was like back in the. 
70s. <laughs> okay. Bless. <laughs> yeah, that part. <laughs> and so, but he said, you need to start reading the Bible. And I was not a good reader. And I'm like, the Bible? That big thick book, like thick as a phone book, has two columns, little bitty words, no pictures. I got to start reading that? I was horrified. I was literally horrified. But I wasn't playing with God. And I said, okay, I'm going to read this Bible. I started reading it. And I noticed it was like, I didn't, I didn't think in these terms then, but it was like code. So in computer programming, there's, there's a snippet of code called if-then-go-to statements, right? So you have these okay. if-then-go-to. Yep. If so if-then-go-to means if this happens, then go to this, right? I noticed the Bible had all of these conditional promises in it. If you do this, you can expect this. Come on. And I said, I'm going to find out. And so I said, I'm going to do this. And sure enough, just like it said, it happened. Like, what? And then it said, well, if you do this, you can expect this. I'm going to find out. <gasps> that worked too. If you do this, you can expect, this is amazing. Right? And I'm like, I'm like a teenager. I'm like, you mean to tell me this book has secrets for me to do better financially? I'm, I'm, as a teenager, I discovered this. Wow. This book has secrets for me to help me get along with my seven, my six brothers better. This book has secrets that will help me get along with my parents better. This book will help me have better relationships with my friends. Like, if you do this, then you can expect this to happen. And every time, I'm talking about, I'm 62. I've been doing this since I was 17. Every time, I started when I was 16, but it was like a month before my 16, 17th birthday. Every time I did what it said, it turned out exactly like it said. Mm. Then I realized, I didn't realize it in these terms then, but I realized as a teenager that the Bible is not a book about religion. Come on. The Bible is a book of principles, promises, practices, precepts, patterns, prayers, and prophecies that give me the ability to make predictions about outcomes in the future. So I can know what's going to happen before it happens, and I can position myself in the path of prosperity. Let me define prosperity. Prosperity means flow. Good. I can position myself in the path of prosperity so when the flow comes, I'm standing there buckets in hand. I don't have to go get ready. I stay ready so I don't have to get ready. And literally, I've lived my life like that. And every time I learn something, since I'm 16, 17 years old, in order for me to decipher whether or not I believed it was truth, I went back and evaluated, does this contradict something in the Bible or does this, is this confirmed by something in the Bible? When I found out it was confirmed, I did it. When I found out it contradicted, I left it alone. My life has been extremely blessed beyond measure as a direct result of that. That's amazing. And, and when it comes to business, I've heard you talk about Genesis one and and the economic uh, pie being a lie. Oh, the economic pie is a lie. <laughs> and this kills. This, no this will kill your lack mentality. Go th ahead. There's no such thing as an economic pie. The economic pie is a farce. It's it, and even more than a farce. It's actually, and people are going to think, oh, well, this guy's ridiculous. Think what you want. I don't. I don't need anybody to think anything about me. So I think you're this. amazing. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. But even if you didn't, I still am going, I believe what I believe. Right. So here we go. If God would have created, if economic pie were true, God would not have put man in a garden. He would have put him in a bakery. And see, the problem with the economic pie is 
consumption creates lack in a pie. If a pie has nine pieces and I eat one, now there are only eight. You eat another one, now there are only seven. So the more each of us get, the less there is for anybody else who comes along. But God put man in a garden where consumption creates production. So if I eat an apple, an apple has five or six seeds in it. Because I ate the apple, I exposed the seeds, I can plant those five or six seeds. They won't grow five or six more apples. They'll grow five or six more trees. And in the words of Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite quotes of all times, any fool can count the number of seeds in an apple, but only God can count the number of apples in a seed. So good. And, and, and if you build your life around the idea that my consumption creates production, so when I consume something, there's not less for everybody because I consumed it, but there's actually more. Right. Because life is like a garden. So good. I actually have the Warren Wiersbe stack. Let's it's go. It's like the colors. Let's go. When I write sermons, it's like, Part of the part of the last step, and just has so much insight with little things. So much insight. One wild insight I found was the prodigal son, and you know the story where the son comes, or where the son comes back home. The father sees him from a long way off, runs after the son, puts his arms around him, and then brings him back. Mm-hmm. Warren Wiersbe connected um, in in Deuteronomy. There's a law that states that if the if if a, a son or daughter would disobey their family the elders have the right to stone that child to death. To death. So this, could it be that the father went to go protect his son mm. from the elders, mm. which is a sign of the covering mm. of Jesus' blood? Mm. That's and th- good. Yeah, I was like, whew. Come on, Warren. Here. Thank you. Come on here. <laughs> okay, there's Warren, but let's go, let's go back and talk about Solomon. My dude. My dude. So what's interesting about the life of Solomon to me Solomon's life pictures the life of a believer at any stage in life. What do I mean by that? At the beginning of Solomon's life, he was completely yielded to God and blessed beyond measure as a result of that yielding. Mm -hmm. In the middle of his life, he bought into the lie that the effect was the cause. So he thought his blessing was because he was Solomon and he was wise and he was rich. So he mistook, he mistaked, made the mistake. That's how I'll say it. He made the mistake, he mistook, that's the word. He made the mistake of thinking that the effect, him being wise and him being wealthy, was the cause of his life being good. But it wasn't the cause, it was the effect of him being yielded. And so he got away from God and he married all these heathen women and he let them turn their, his heart away from God. And he built altars to idols after the God of the universe gave him wisdom beyond measure. So Solomon backslid in the middle of his life. Mm. But at the end of his life, he came to his senses. At the beginning of his life, he wrote the book of Proverbs. At the end of his life, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. The theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is this. If you live your life for life under the sun, you've wasted your life and tortured yourself. That's the theme of Ecclesiastes. In fact, when he gets down to the last chapter, the last couple of verses of the book of Ecclesiastes, here's what it says. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So he came back. And so his life when he was young, if we can pattern Solomon's life when he was young, and resist yielding to the same temptation he yielded to in the middle after our life is blessed because we've yielded. And we can hold fast to the idea that he came back to when he was old. 
Katie bar the door. <laughs> because what happened to Solomon, here's, here, I'm going to give it to you really, really quickly because there's a whole lot here. I decided to build my business based on King Solomon's business model. King Solomon, was what, he was the wisest, wealthiest man who ever lived. If he were alive today, the wealth that he had back then would have made him a multi-trillionaire. A million is a thousand thousand. A billion is a thousand million. A trillion is a thousand billion. And he would have been worth multiple trillions of dollars. That's hard to wrap your mind around for an individual to be that, right? Well, how did he become this multi-trillionaire? And in 1 Kings chapter 3, it lays out the first part of the story. And I'm not going to go into all the details except to say this. Um, Solomon procured some powerful partnerships he possessed a passion for piety and purity. He had a love for God. He patterned the path of his father, David. He walked in a pattern that had already been established. And then he paid a price that was a premium. It says he offered a thousand burnt offerings upon the altar. Mm. And at that point, God came to him and said, woke him up in the middle of the night. He was woke him up in a dream and giving. He said, Solomon asked what I shall give you. You know what that means? God woke Solomon up and said, hey, I've got a blank check up here with your name on how much you want me to make it out for. Like, please wake me up tonight with that one, right? Most of us would have asked for the wrong thing. Give me two of these and three of those, one in green, four in blue, right? Solomon didn't say that. Solomon said, you have given me a job to do that's bigger than me. I don't know how to fulfill this purpose. You've given me people to serve. I don't know how to serve these people. I don't know how to be a king. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I'm like a little child. So Solomon's insufficiency and his inability made him aware of the prayer to pray. And here's, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put it in modern day vernacular. I'm not going to say exactly what he said, but this is what it meant. What he said meant. He said, dear Lord, give me the wisdom to do the thing you put me on this earth to do in a way that pleases you and serves the people you put me here to serve. If every human being on earth would make that their prayer and that make that their heart's desire, it would literally solve every social problem in the world in that moment. So good. Because Solomon realized when he was young, his life, his, the purpose for his life was twofold. Yield to God, serve people. And as long as that was his focus, here's what God said. I'm going to give you what you asked for. But because you didn't ask for a long life for yourself, because you didn't ask for great riches for yourself, because you didn't ask for the life of your enemies for yourself, I'm going to give you what you asked for, a wise and an understanding heart to discern judgment. But I'm going to give you as a bonus what you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you a long life. I'm going to give you great riches. I'm going to give you great wisdom, but I'm also going to give you the life of your enemies in your hand. Solomon had, there was peace in Israel for Solomon's entire reign. It's wild. The scripture says, when Solomon was king, silver was as stones in Israel. What? Well, watch this. God gave Solomon this wisdom. You go to chapter four. That was in chapter three, right? You go to chapter four. One of the first things we see is Solomon started putting out content. It says, and Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Like, you're, you, you want to be an author. You want to be a speaker. You want to be a coach. You want to have an agency. You want to be an influencer. You want to build a YouTube channel. You want to build an Instagram following. Have you created 3,000 posts? Have you created 1,000 videos? Come on. Right? People, everybody wants microwave this, drive through that, shortcut this, but Solomon put in the work. 
Right. And in the content that he created, he didn't do anything elaborate. He wrote about trees, insects, animals, fish, birds. Yeah. He taught uncommon lessons from commonplace things. And then we fast forward, we get all the way over to first Kings chapter 10 and second Chronicles chapter nine. Here's what we see. Solomon's business model consisted of this. He was a consultant to his contemporaries, other Kings and Queens. All, in fact, all of the Kings and Queens of the earth came to him and paid him to learn his wisdom. In fact, in first Kings chapter 10, it tells us that the queen of Sheba paid him 120 talents of gold. I've done the math on this. It's about $253 million. One client, and that was just the gold. It didn't include the precious stones. It didn't include the furs. It didn't include the precious ointments. Just the gold, $253 million, right? And it says she came back and paid him that every year. They came back and paid him a rate year by year. Imagine every king on earth coming and paying you $253 million. Yeah. So he consulted people who were in the same business he was in. They were kings and queens. So. He consulted with them so that they could run their kingdom as smoothly as he was running his. And he charged them a lot of money to do it. God gave Solomon the wisdom because Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings. A burnt offering is a picture of total sacrifice. Yeah. God, you can have everything that's mine. I'm yours. You have everything. Well, God gave Solomon wisdom, but he gave Solomon the wisdom not to give his wisdom away, but to sell it. All of the kings and queens of the earth, not only did they come to him, Solomon, and pay him to learn his wisdom, they sent the people from their kingdoms to Solomon to learn the wisdom. And they paid him. They came back and paid him a rate year by year. Everybody who came paid. Solomon was first a consultant to his contemporaries. Secondly, he was a communicator to crowds. Because Solomon doesn't, just like none of us right now, have time to consult every human being on earth one-on-one. -on -one. Solomon communicated to crowds. I believe Solomon was doing seminars thousands of years before there was ever thought of a Tony Robbins or a Russell Brunson or a Myron Golden or an Omar. Solomon was doing seminars thousands of years ago over in the ancient world, in ancient Ephesus, in Jerusalem, in, I mean, in Israel, in, in Turkey, in, um, in Greece. They have, the, they have these big stone yeah. coliseums that right. they built thousands of years ago that seat tens of thousands of people, and they're still standing. The architecture back then was like, our architecture is trash <laughs> compared to the ancient hey, architecture. We just got the sphere in Vegas. Have you seen that? No. It's like literally an LED sphere that you could see all over the city. And they project whatever they want on it, and then inside it's a it's three sixty three LED. Kinda no, wild. that's crazy. But he would put himself in a position where he would only have to communicate one, one message, time. and everybody gets it, and everybody gets it, and everybody gets it. That's the point. And God gave him the wisdom to sell that. And then the last thing, he was the king of continuity cash flow. They didn't pay him once; they paid him every year. See, people who pay pay attention. People who pay a lot pay a lot of attention. People who pay a little pay a little of attention. Because Jesus said, the heart follows the pocketbook. Where your treasure is, there, there will your is. heart be also. Right. Fire. He lays out the framework. The framework's all there. And yeah. all I did, so all I did, <laughs> yeah. I saw all this stuff Solomon's doing. I said, when I was this? Like where you feel like you were on this tip where you're like, wow, this, this revelation. Probably late 2017, I'm like, I think I found something. I'm and and right before 2017, what were you like selling, doing? Were you doing coaching still? I was, but at a very low level. Okay. On a very small scale. Okay. Very small scale. I mean, 2015, I had, I had had prior to that like a $36,000 coaching program, but I hadn't sold many of them. Mm -hmm. And my clients weren't having massive success. I, I understood it 
I, I had knowledge of it, but I didn't understand how to make it rinsable and repeatable like I do now. Does that yep. make sense? Yeah. And so, so once we got that piece figured out, and we, like principles are God's automation. There you go. They don't care if you're Omar or Myron, if you're a man or a woman, if you're tall or short, if they're black, white, chartreuse, if you're Indian, if you're or, um, Arabian, if it, the principles don't care. All yeah. principles always work the same for everybody. The problem is not that the principles don't work for the people. The problem is the people don't work the principles. Mm. Principles the, are principles. God's automation. Automation. Yeah, you like that, didn't you? No, yeah. When you <laughs> when I first heard you say that, I was like, "Yep, I'm gonna figure out my way of saying that." Uh, but it's true, and I, I've experienced that with the tithe. Honestly, one thousand. You know, I, I started tithing on a two hundred and fifty dollar paycheck is when I learned how to tithe, and then I started buying and reselling. Two hundred fifty dollars a week. Uh, a week, yeah. Yeah, okay. So my tithe was like, you know, 100 bucks a month. 100 bucks a month. And and yeah, and I started buying things and reselling it. And I actually was so, I, I was so uh, amazed at how much it was working. I like incorrectly tithe. So I would, I don't know, I, I guess you could do that because you just like, suck at math or something. But <laughs> I, I would buy a pair of Jordans, resell them for double, triple the price and tithe off the price I didn't take the cost of the Jordan. Uh, so. you, you tossed, you, you tied off the price you sold it for instead <laughs> right. of the profit. That's funny. But, uh, but I, I, it broke, obviously it breaks something off of you. Oh yeah. And money doesn't, isn't my master, you know, and it, money isn't your master and it's also not finite. Mm, right. Right. There's no lack. Nothing's missing. What the only, and when something seems to be missing, the only thing that's missing is your awareness. Right. See, people think they lack access to abundance. You don't lack access to abundance. You lack awareness of the access you have to the abundance. That'll, that broke my brain. Really? Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. People think, okay, I told the story about these guys. They had this thing where they taught people options. Their business was doing 10000 a month. They, oh, my business, there's something wrong with my business. There's nothing wrong with your business. There's something wrong, wrong with your awareness. The only thing that's missing right now is your awareness of these four things. You do these four things, your business has to scale. And when businesses scale, they don't scale over a very long period of time incrementally. That's not how it works. In nature, everything grows by multiplication. Nothing grows by addition. Yep. So when they, when, when I, when they became aware of what they weren't aware of, the next month, their business did 60,000. The next yes. month, it did 101. The next month, it did. So th they didn't lack the ability to do the things. They just lacked awareness of the things to do. And so many people who are watching this interview right now, you think something's missing. That's why people go out and they try to get, 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 because they think something's missing. So I never try to get anything because I know nothing's missing. So I realize that there's more than enough for everybody to have more than enough and there'd still be more than enough left over. So if I show up and serve, Serving is like sowing a seed. And if you sow a seed, you reap a harvest. Mm -hmm. That's how it works. And if you don't sow a seed, sorry, bub, no harvest for you. Right. It's a principle. It just does what it does. Uh, there's a story in Genesis about Abraham or Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. So God tells Abram, you're going to have a son. And... He believes God. He tells Sarai, they're old. They're like 65, 60 years old when he tells them this. Well, here it comes. He's 85 years old. He still didn't have a son. Or 80 years old. He still didn't have a son. So um, his wife comes to him and says, you know, we're getting old. And um, we haven't had a child yet. I know God's going to, you know, he can do what he can do. But since 
you know, instead of waiting, why don't you just go in there and, you know, sleep with my pretty little handmaid and yeah. have a baby with her and we'll raise him like he's our own. And Ishmael. She said, uh, Abram said, are you sure, baby? Okay. And, <laughs> right? Because they yeah. were people. Right. Just like we're people. And he did. He went and slept with his handmaid. With his, and she had got pregnant. She had a baby. His name was Ishmael. Hagar was his mother. And then about 13 years later, Sarah has a baby. She sees Ishmael mocking her son, Isaac. Probably could have been mocking her. Could have been mocking Abram. Probably mocking Isaac because mamas and their boys. There's yeah. something there. I don't know what it is, but it's a thing, right? And she said, went to Abram and said, "This handmaid's son will not be heir with my son. You kick them out of our house. I don't want them here anymore." Abram's heart was broken. This was his son. He had vested years of his life in this boy. And God came to him and said, "Abram." You listen to your wife once, listen to her again, send them away. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the thing that's, that'll make you laugh today will make you cry tomorrow. Anyway, that's a different story for a different day. So he gives them a loaf of bread and a bottle of water and sends them out into the desert. They ran out of water. Hagar puts Ishmael under a bush. This is in Genesis chapter 21. A bush about a bow shot away, so let's call that a hundred yards. And then she goes away from him and lifts up her voice and weeps. And then the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, So, Hagar, what you crying about? I mean, doesn't that sound like such a ridiculous question? What aileth thee, Hagar? <laughs> Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. So while you're over here crying, he's over there praying. Why? Because his father taught him how to pray. And guess what happened? God hath heard the voice of the lad where he was. And fear not, because I'm going to make your son a great nation. You know what it says right after that? It says, and Hagar lifted up her eyes and saw a well of water. What does that tell you about the well of water? It was already there. She didn't lack access to water. She lacked awareness of her access to water. I like to say, she couldn't see the well of water in front of her eyes because of the water that was welling up in her eyes. And that's exactly what we, happens to us. We're so zoned in on what's missing that we cannot see what's there. Wow. That was a bar. <laughs> that's so good. Um, I, you have a book called Boss Moves. I do. And it's, I love how you use it. I'm learning how you use this book to help people and, and then how you repackage it to help people in different ways. Sure. Uh, but in this book, you, you talk about four moves. Four moves. At if you make one of these four or all, all four. four, if you make all these four. You'll scale your business 1,280% in four moves. Not might scale your business. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's math. Math, is, math, like, math does what math does. Two times two ain't going to be six tomorrow because it's four today. <laughs> right. right. So you do these four moves, you will scale your business 1,280%. It doesn't matter where you're at. Can you break down those moves real quick? Sure. Move number one, lead generation. Move number two, move number two, lead conversion. Move number three, customer ascension. Move number four, customer retention. What does that mean? Lead generation is number one. The number one reason your business is not growing is because you don't have anybody to sell stuff to. So you have to generate a lead. What is a lead? A lead is a person who's leaning in and willing to listen to your offer. That's a lead. 
if you're not, not generating leads, you don't have anybody to present an offer to. <clears throat> if your business is doing $10,000 a month and you're generating 100 leads and converting 10 of those leads on a $1,000 offer, if you double the number of leads and everything else in your business stays the same, you literally just doubled your business from 10000 a month to 20000 a month and you only made one move. One move. One move. Move number two, lead conversion. Convert means to change something into something it wasn't before. So a lead is a lead, but a customer is a person who used to be a lead, but now they've bought something. So you have some kind of lead conversion mechanism. Maybe it's a webinar, maybe it's a challenge, maybe it's a summit, maybe it's a live event, maybe it's a video sales letter, maybe it's a long form sales letter, maybe it's a short form sales letter. Maybe it's an Instagram live, maybe it's a YouTube live, maybe it's a LinkedIn live, maybe it's an Amazon live if you're an Amazon influencer. There's so many different ways, conversion mechanisms, but of the number of leads you generate, a certain number of them convert into sales. So we go from lead generation to lead conversion. Well, if we're going to lead conversion, the next move can't be about leads because they're no longer a lead. Mm. So you convert the leads into a sale with a core product offer, right? So if like your core product, if you're sell insurance, is insurance. Your core product, if you have a plumbing business, is plumbing. Your core product, if you sell in uh, real estate, is a house, right? So your core product offer is your core product offer. What would be a good core product offer for like an online entrepreneur? A book. A book. Like Boss Moves book is one of our core product okay. offers. So Boss Moves book, though, it's a 179-page book that we sell for $30 plus $10 shipping and handling. Now, one of the reasons I do this I don't know if I should tell you this, but I already started now, so I'll tell you. <laughs> okay, one of the reasons I sell my book for $30 plus $9.99 shipping and handling is because everybody else does free plus shipping. Right. Everybody else is giving their book away for free, and all you do is pay shipping. So I make people pay. So I don't do a free plus shipping offer. I do a premium book plus shipping offer. So I charge $30 for the book, $10 shipping and handling. So I even charge a premium for the shipping and handling. So they pay $40. Well, why would somebody pay you $40 for a paperback book? Because the content in the book is exactly what you would pay me if you hired me to coach you for two hours, I would teach you those four moves. Right. And I would coach you on those four moves. So you could pay me $80,000 and I'll coach you, or you can pay $40,000 and read the book. I mean, $40, $30 plus 10 shipping and handling and read the book. Yeah. And I don't care, I'll do either one. I'm, I'm okay either way. I would rather sell you the book. Why? Because then you have a little outlay and a massive return, and now you're gonna come back for more. Right. Right. Um, if you pay me the 40000 I'll take the 40000 and still help you get the return, but, and I'll even give you a book for free, right? <laughs> um, but I don't really like one-on-one -on -one coaching, yeah. so I'd rather you read the book. So I can sit on the floor and play with my granddaughter or go to the golf, and, golf course and play golf or hang out with my wife or something, practice my guitar, something other than having a one-on-one -on -one coaching session, which is highly efficient. Okay, so that's move, move number two, customer, I mean, lead um, conversion. Lead conversion. And you convert a lead to a core product offer. So a book, um, a ticket to a challenge, a ticket to a master class, um, a course for $1,000 or $2,000 could be a core product offer. Okay, all those are core product offers. Anywhere from, you know, $40 up to $2,000. And then you maximize profitability with a premium value offer. A premium value offer is something that costs 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times as much as your core product. And it doesn't necessarily get them a different result. It just gets them a result faster. That's good. Right? It's not that they're getting more for the money. It's that they're getting the same thing faster. Or they might be getting more faster. But when I say more, I'm not talking about more deliverables. I'm talking about more of a result in a shorter period of time.
Because when it comes to like making offers more valuable, putting more stuff in it doesn't make it more valuable. It makes it less valuable because now I've got all these obstacles I've got to go through to get the result. And the thing that I really desire is the result. Your product only exists in my mind as a bridge to get me to the result that I desired to have before I knew your product existed. So when I'm presenting products to people, my product is just a bridge. So when I'm talking to a potential client, I only talk to them about their problem and my solution to their problem. And this is the bridge that I've created to help you get across that chasm, right? So that's a premium value offer. So a premium value offer, because you're probably going to ask me, what's a good premium value offer? It depends. So it depends on who you are, where you are, what your comfort level is with selling, how, how, what is the sense of certainty that you can help people produce result? Because my motto is, I never want to charge anybody a price that I can't get them a 10 X return in 12 months. Mm. Right. So if I can't get you a 10 X return in 12 months, I don't want to sell it to you. Okay. So I have a, um, I have a $25,000 offer. It's a, a two day live training that my daughter and I do together. It's $25,000. Um, I have a, um, $27,000 offer. And that's a great offer. I got $55,000 offer, which is King Solomon's Court, the one you're in. It's $55,000 a year. It's not $55,000. I'm sorry. It's $55,000 per year. Yeah. That's different. And then I've got a VIP day plus. That's $350,000 for the day plus all the bonuses. So those are my, my premium. And then I have what I call King Solomon's Royal Family. That's a million dollars. And with that, you get four VIP days instead of one. So that's the million dollar offer. So the million dollar offer is the highest offer I have right now, but those are premium value offers. Well, what does that do? That gives you ability, gives you the ability to maximize profitability in a very, very short period of time. And serve people at a very and deep level. Serve people at such a deep and high level. The results, it's, it's just, I'm just, I'll just say I got my two re- X return on my investment in your program in under 45 days. In under 45 days, you made more than two times what it cost you to be in the program. And so now you're just riding the gravy. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I'm in Tampa right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's awesome, bro. That's so good. No, yeah. And I mean, I'm excited. I, I, I honestly feel the wind at my back to mm. uh, really map out, you know, the, an irresistible offer to be given at the end of a challenge. And um, I might be overthinking. I, I am overthinking at this point. I just need to do it. Um, but what you teach is is real and I think it's so helpful. I'll put a link to his book. Please grab his book. I, I consumed it on the airplane ride back from your live event. Mm. Um, and it, it's it also what was so enlightening is I, I'm like, I'm learning you at, at different angles. Right. And the angle I, I learned from you by, by listening to that book is like, dang, I watched your YouTube videos where you broke some of this down. Dang, I saw at the conference you were breaking down some of this down. It's the same stuff in a different platform. And it just shows it like... If, if I would put this, the stamp or label of like mastery, that's mastery. Mm. You know, um, the ability to do it in every room. The, me, me be able to ask you a question and you communicate that answer in a way that is so digestible because you've thought about this question because you've been asked it a, a, lot, a lot of times. And life has asked me before any other person did. Yeah. And I had to figure it out for Myron before I ever figured it out for Omar. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, the boss moves uh, is is real. And I think as he was talking through it, I can imagine your brain are, is like, okay, which part do I need to fix? And, you know, just 
I would say also go on Myron's YouTube channel where he breaks down why businesses are stuck because you kind of, you talk about a great lead gen uh, offer to get mm -hmm. to increase your leads and things sure. like that. Um, the two part series is phenomenal. Um, something I haven't really heard you. But the last move. Oh yeah, yeah. The Did last I just move. skip? I was about to just move. The last, the, yeah, the go, go, last go. move. Yeah, go. The last move is the customer retention offer. Mm. And that's called continuity. That's where you sell something to somebody once, but they pay for it for the rest of their life. It's like Apple Music. It's like Netflix. It's like Prime Video. It's, it's a membership, a newsletter, or a software as a service. I mean, it can also be like you funding your own offers. Mm. Like all of those are great continuity programs. And if you build your business right, you can have, it's, it sounds insane. What I'm about to say sounds so insane because it feels kind of surreal to me even when I'm saying it. Because 10 years ago, I was broke. Right. Right. Um, after being rich, <laughs> which was made it even less fun. Um, um, like you, you can have tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of dollars a month coming in on autopilot before and even if you don't get out of bed. What? So good. So that's the move number four. So what was your next question? Um, would you say that that continuity offer, it, it, that's not, that wouldn't be a core product offer? No. no. Continuity offers, a continuity offer exists for the purpose of selling something to someone once and giving them the privilege of paying for it for the rest of their life or until they get done, okay. until they're tired of paying for it. What would be like another example, like not Apple Music, for like a guy like me? A membership site. Membership site. Or a paid newsletter for like your video, like your video department. I could do a Boss Moves, Moves newsletter and sell it for $97 a month or $297 a month and give different Boss Moves, just apply the Boss Moves to different verticals every month. Yeah. So January, do it for insurance and then next month do it for real estate and then next month do it for doctor's office and the next month do it for cosmetic surgeries. I like the newsletter joint. That's yeah, fire. Newsletter. Um, so something I actually haven't heard you talk about is building culture in within in your business and i've gotten to know your team mm -hmm. a lot of them um and they are phenomenal people and such a heart to to work hard uh spirit of excellence like how, how do you so i actually have a youtube video on my youtube channel yeah. on kingdom the uh, kingdom culture in your business like a kingdom of god culture in your business and and basically, the culture of our business is this. God has this cultural emphasis in Scripture. Treat other people like you would treat me. So our culture is this. Treat our clients like you would treat me. Treat each other like you would treat me, Myron. Mm -hmm. If you wouldn't say it to me, don't say it to them. If you wouldn't have this attitude with them, don't have it with them. If you wouldn't have it with me, don't have it with them. If you wouldn't talk like that to me, don't talk like that to a client, right? Treat other people the way you would treat me. And I'm going to treat you the way I would treat God. And when you take it to the ultimate extreme, when you treat other people who have nothing to offer you, like you would treat Christ because you realize that's exactly what you're doing. I love it. So good. that's the whole emphasis. It's about, it's about understanding that we are here to do two things, two things and two things only primarily, not only, but primarily yield to God, serve people. You do those two things. You're gonna have a magnificent life. Dude. So good. I appreciate you. And something I really, 
I was looking at you guys uh, at dinner last night, your family, and I just, those are the things I, I, I see and illuminate, you mm. know, investing in you to coach me and, um, and seeing that you're a family man and that your, your whole family is involved and thriving. It, it really is such a blessing to see. And I would say super desirable, you know, mm. like it's the goal. That's the goal right there. That the dining, king, that the kingdom table. of God is a family business. And if I can, if, if, if I might give an addendum to something you just said, if that's okay, please. when you buy a coaching program from me, I promise you, you're not investing in me. Yeah. You're investing in yourself through me because, right. and here's, here's why that's important. Good. Because if you understand that when it comes to you and me, you'll understand it when it comes to you and your clients and you'll realize that when a client buys something from you, they're not investing in you. They're investing in themselves. Right. Here's why. Because if you buy something from me, my life does not get any better. And I don't mean that. It gets better because we develop a relationship, but the money that you pay me doesn't change my life at all. I don't have anything that I want to buy that I can't buy. I don't have anywhere I want to go that I can't go. I don't have something I want to do that I can't do. So when somebody buys something from me, it doesn't change my life. It changes theirs. They're investing in themselves through me. Good. So anyway. Yeah. What last final thing is why would you, why do you think people have a hard time investing in themselves? themselves? <laughs> That's easy because they bought into their identity. What does that mean? They bought into all of the things that everybody around them told them they are not their entire lives. You're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You're not tall enough. You don't sing good enough. You don't look good enough. You don't dance good enough. You're not smart enough to have a business. Um, you're not likable enough to have friends. You're not smart enough to get good grades. You're not smart enough to go to college. You're not smart enough to build a business. Um, you're not likable enough. You're not enough. Like that's your identity. All the things that the world, the cultural hypnotic societal mechanism has told you your whole life you're not, that's your identity. And what most people do, they try to make up for their identity by manufacturing what I call a my-identity. Mm. What's a my-identity? It's all the other stuff I'm not that I try to make you believe I am so that you don't think I'm not the things you told me I'm not. And it's not until you embrace your true identity, which by the way, you can only get from the ultimate true identity, which is the I am that I am. Amen. I can only know who I am when I realize the I am that I am gave me my I amness. Right. And I realize I am who he says I am, not who they say I'm not. I am who he says I am, not who I try to prove that I am to prove to them they're wrong about who they said I'm not. Good. When I wrap my mind around that, it's a wrap, bro. So good. You heard it early in the episode. It's $40,000 to get an hour with you. You're welcome, TVD. <laughs> um, but if you, you know, I just want to plug in, like you do um, a, a, usually a monthly challenge. Yeah. And so- We won't have one in November of 2023 though, but we'll have one in December. Yes. Yeah. And so I would encourage you to tap into these super value, valuable. Um, there's different levels and I would encourage you to go to the highest level because it'll allow you to ask him a question and like I said, it could be one thing that could change your life and business and uh, check out the Boss Moves book. I believe that everybody is one idea away from their first or next fortune. There was a time when Sam Walton was one idea from Walmart. Jeff Bezos was one idea from Amazon. Um, Elon Musk was one idea from Tesla. And right now you are one idea away from your next or first fortune, whichever the case may be. Dr. Myron Golden, thank you. Omar, thank you. Appreciate you, brother. <laughs>